Skywire's The Films That Changed Our Lives. This podcast is all about highlighting films that have made an impact on our lives and that have inspired us both in front of and behind the camera. Each episode, either myself or my co-host Monroe Hayden will focus on one film that has impacted us and discuss its significance. I'm Daniel Andrade. Let's get started. One of the hardest genres to make movies for is horror. Because it's so subjective, since everyone is scared by different things, it can be difficult to create a horror film with mainstream appeal. But while some may see this as a curse, I believe it's a blessing because it has allowed horror to become a varied and unique collection of numerous themes. While there's no shortage of gory, violent, or demonic films to frighten us, there's also been a recent surge in more complex and artful horror movies, the kind that stick with you long after the credits roll. One such film is the one we'll be talking about today, The Babadook. Released in 2014, The Babadook is the screenwriting and directorial debut from Australian actress Jennifer Kent. Taking place in Adelaide, Australia, the film follows recently widowed single mother Amelia who is struggling to make ends meet while caring for her eccentric son Samuel. When Samuel discovers an old book that tells the tale of the ominous Babadook, he and Amelia begin to experience some frightening and mysterious things in their home. I don't want to say too much more because I do believe this is a film you have to see and experience for yourselves, but suffice to say, things get pretty intense by the end of the movie. Essie Davis does a phenomenal job portraying a woman who is utterly exhausted but is trying the best she can, while Noah Wiseman perfectly encapsulates the hyper and challenging character of Sam. They have a fascinating relationship that can be seen and felt in the movie. One that shows obvious love and affection, but also frustration and helplessness. It leads to a tension in the film that is palpable early on and only continues to get heavier as the film progresses. This leads to a stunning climax where their bond is truly put to the ultimate test. As I stated earlier, what makes The Babadook stand out from other films is that, while it's certainly frightening in a traditional sense, it's also been viewed as an allegory for depression and grief. A looming presence that can be overwhelming and terrifying, always lurking and waiting to attack. You can deny it all you want, but it will find a way in, one way or another. And this is why The Babadook is one of the films that changed my life. This isn't the first horror film that made me enjoy the genre. That honor goes to The Ring, which is a story for another podcast. Uh, but anyway, by the time I got around to watching The Babadook, I was already a fan of scary movies for the sheer thrill of them. But this one stuck with me, more so than any other horror films that I had seen up to that point. I thought about how it portrayed a mother at her breaking point, showing her in constant pain and completely drained, desperately wishing for her son to, quote, just be normal in hopes that it would make life easier and more bearable, and sadly unable to let go of the connection between the loss of her husband and the birth of her son. I thought about how Amelia was so lonely with a sister who was seemingly tired of her and an unfulfilling job that wears her out. I thought about how she slowly begins to unravel and lash out at everyone, not out of anger at them, but out of sheer frustration of her situation. And I thought about the ending and how it changed everything that we had seen in the movie 
and completely altered the lives of Amelia and Sam. To this day, when I'm going through a really difficult or challenging time, I'll think about that ending. This film was the first one that made me realize that horror can be truly beautiful. This movie still makes me tear up in certain areas and makes me feel things other than terror that hit just as hard. The cinematography is both stunning and unsettling, ethereal and infernal. It takes the classic horror tropes of creepy kids, demonic spirits, and haunted fairy tales and flips them on their head. This film opened the gates for me to seek out similar horror films and made me a fan of movies like The Witch, Get Out, Us, It Follows, Midsommar, and many more. Now, I don't just enjoy horror movies for fun. Now I appreciate them as works of art that have managed to do the seemingly impossible, make us afraid of more than what we can see on the screen. So, I can talk on and on and on about this one. But I really, really want to hear your thoughts. Uh, for those of you that don't know, when Monroe and I watch these movies, we almost always have like an immediate debrief and just talk about the movie, what we liked about it, what we didn't. But this time, like, I, I wanted to save all that for, for this moment right here. So <laughs> uh, my first question for you is, uh, I know that you're a big horror fan. You love horror more than I do, I would say. <laughs> I love it pretty much, but you love it a lot. So how did you like the film? What did you like about it? Or what did you not like about it? What I really liked about it was it really, like you said, I can't really say it any better than you did. It really did a good job of showcasing just a lot of different things that people go through, what single parents go mm -hmm. through. I know this isn't just like a single mom thing. I know this, this happens more so yeah. to women because women in the past and currently still are the ones who have to stay home and have to, you know, take care of the kids and take care of the house and stuff like that. That's changing a little bit, but, you yeah. know, yeah. that has been the, the role for the woman in the past. Mm -hmm. But I'm mm -hmm. sure that there are lots of dads out there, single dads, who have to go through the same thing. So I really, I really appreciated that they were yeah. able to capture that. Not that I would know because I don't have any kids, but I'm pretty sure my mom <laughs> probably felt that stuff too. I wasn't that, yeah, like, yeah. I wasn't as um, high maintenance as uh, what was the little boy's name? Sam. Sam. How could I forget that name? <laughs> but yeah, um, I wasn't quite <laughs> mm -hmm. high ma maintenance as he was, although my mom would probably say something different. I like to think <laughs> I wasn't. And I'm sure there were just <laughs> moments where she just kind of broke down. And even though I've never, I'm not a parent and I'm definitely not a single mother, I felt what she was feeling and I could not imagine how I would get through that. And on top of all of this stuff, just these are just normal things, mind you, that she's going through. Mm -hmm. When, mm -hmm. In terms of just like, keeping up with the bills, keeping up with the house, keeping up with the child, you know, and, and, and also trying to maintain a stable, like, personal life. You know, she doesn't have time to date. She mm -hmm. doesn't have a lot of friends. Mm -hmm. um, now she's dealing with this grief, and this grief just keeps growing and growing. And I've dealt with grief over the years. You've actually helped me get through mm -hmm. a particular, I'm still grieving over this particular relationship. Yeah. But um, it's it's completely like uh, I don't want to say relevant, but it's it's really good at depicting what it feels like to be in it. Because like once it once it because you we've talked about grief and mm -hmm. you and you know we, we talk about how it comes in waves. There'll be times yes. where you're like good, you yes. get some breath of fresh air and you don't feel it too much, and you know it's pretty. Um, you can live with it and then there are days yeah. where it just kind of 
hits you like a rock mm-hmm. or like a wave, mm-hmm. like we said. It just yeah. knocks you down. Yeah. And it knocks you down for a long time. Mm-hmm. You know, and sometimes it takes me weeks, months, depending on the type of grief, on the type, you know, like I said, yeah. I've gone through grief before and not just mm-hmm. one. So, like, if it something triggers me and it triggers a certain grief that's associated with a certain person in my past it might last Mm -hmm. a lot longer than a few days yeah yeah and this is just a really good um artistic way of presenting how it feels like that once it gets in you can never get it out and you just have to find a way to live with it and maintain it to Mm -hmm. a point where like it's still nurtured and you're still respecting it for what it is yes but you're not letting it consume you i think like what i what i didn't like was that we never really got to see the babadook mm-hmm. and i kind of really wanted to see him because you <laughs> mm-hmm. know we, we you know yeah so but i also appreciate that we didn't because now our imaginations can can run wild mm-hmm. but still i really wish we kind of saw him at the end and yeah. um there were moments where it kind of felt like it was just dragging out but i know Fair. you like yeah. that you love yes. those type of films. I don't. I love that building tension yeah, yeah. <laughs> i i love 80 slashers that's my like number one horror yeah exactly Mm -hmm. so we get to the point real quick oh yeah so it's just a difference don't waste any time (laughs) yeah Yeah. there's like no yes there's like a difference in style there but it's Mm -hmm. not something that like i would write off and say you know this is bad there have been some movies that i've watched with you that you really liked that dragged out forever that Ah. i told you straight out i hate this movie (laughs) yeah yeah. this is not one of them i like this movie a lot Okay, that's good. <laughs> it would have been perfectly fine if we still had this episode and you did not like it. We, that would still bring up a whole nother dialogue. But um, <laughs> that's definitely something that I was like, curious about because I know, like you said, there have been a handful of movies that you were just like, why did you make me watch this? Like, <laughs> this is just like not fun. Another thing that I was uh, researching that I was reading that I think you would like is that uh, you know Jennifer Kent uh, made sure to hire people for uh, puppetry and uh, stop motion animation and stuff like that. So everything that we saw, like there was no CGI in this film. Like everything was just legit real. So I thought that was really cool too and added to the whole um, realistic nature of it. So That is amazing. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. When was this made? Uh, 2014. Okay, so it was actually quite some time ago now that yeah. we're talking. Because yeah. we're, what, 2021? So we're approaching, we're closer mm-hmm. to 2024 now. So it's going to be about almost 10 years. Almost, yeah. That is actually mm-hmm. pretty interesting because back then, even back then, uh, yeah. CGI was still a really big thing. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's one of the things, I know we're going to talk about this later on, but that's one of the things that I really love about um, Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula is that they were ah. so fixated on puppeteering, shadows, mm-hmm. camera tricks, all sorts of things to get away with these special effects. They were like practical effects. Yes, exactly. And that's yeah. just an, like an art form that's not seen anymore in movies. So, yeah, that's pretty cool. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I had a few other questions here for you. So, you know, you were just talking about slashers. Um, it's no secret that almost all horror films have always had a message of some sort, for better or for worse. You know, a lot of people say that these early slashers were promoting like this, quote, moral purity, since the characters who slept around were often the ones that were killed first, you know, and the final girl survived because she was often quote unquote the most pure the virgin so <clears throat> the virgin you can yes. say that as, we should as be the cabin to... in the woods you know yeah. made it very clear well, actually um, scream made that very clear yeah 
Yeah. So uh, my question to you was like, how do you think social commentary has evolved in the horror genre? You know, I mentioned a few movies earlier, like uh, I think people uh, credit uh, Jordan Peele and Get Out as being like the first like social political horror movie of sorts. But like, how do you think it's evolved since the times of, of slashers up to now? Horror films have always been that. Right? I think I feel like every movie has actually been that. It's always been like some sort of commentary oh, okay. on what we're going through in society. Mm-hmm. But horror has definitely always been that. Uh, sure, there are like those fun, just gory yeah. stuff. <laughs> But there's mm-hmm. always some sort of message underneath it. I'm talking a, like normal now because I was told, this is like a little side note. Um, Joe from <laughs> our sound department told me, oh yeah, you talk really loud. And I was like, what? I've never been told that before. I've always been wow. told that I need to speak up because I have a small voice. <laughs> um, just in case you're like, because okay. I can hear you. I can hear you. I can see you kind of like reaching into like your, to, like your, your, your headphones oh. kind of like. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry about <laughs> that. But I've been told. It's okay. I'm, I'm talking too loud now, so... It's kind of, I, I like this radio voice. I like this NPR Monroe voice. Of, yes. This is what it feels like, huh, guys? When you talk too loud. <laughs> okay, so the question was um, the commentaries on horror, right? Yes. And I mean, you were saying that it's always been there, so I guess to kind of add to the question then, like, what do you think makes horror such a good... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, a good venue for that, like a good arena for that. Like, what makes it stand out more in horror films and in other films it encourages conflict ah okay because of the just the nature of horror what gets you yeah. scared and what gets yeah. us scared what makes a lot of people scared is death so the fear mm-hmm. of dying brings up a lot of stuff because then you have to bring up religion then you bring mm. up like how does someone die what do you see after yeah. you die do people you know Mm-hmm, where do you mm-hmm. go is there life after death so there's so many different things that um trigger this and yeah. death is such a sensitive topic it also brings up stuff like, like grief like we're talking about with babadook mm-hmm. so yeah i think um it's always been a common uh a commentary on society i mean if you talk if you can trace it back down to like even like scream and they talk about like what it does mm-hmm. and that's what you know i really love about scream as well that's my favorite scary movie yes yes um but they talk about um how how the world influences the media and how the media kind of influences the world and then you know you go to scream 2 and they talk about how oh we'll just blame the movies for our actions Mm -hmm. and you can't Mm -hmm. just do that you know that was like the moral of the story you can't just blame stuff for that you know so there's always there's always things like that and jordan peele is really good Mm -hmm. he is awesome i think He's not the first person to bring in, a, uh, you know, anything political because a lot of horror movies actually are political. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he is definitely the first one to bring up, to put black cinema up in the front in a genre that was yeah. always been kind of neglected the black community. They always killed the black mm-hmm. guy first, you know. Yep. They never like starred a black female. Like when was the last horror movie that you remember that starred a black female? actress mm-hmm. as, as mm-hmm. the lead and she survived yeah yeah it's true jordan peele is definitely pioneering a new genre of horror that i think mm-hmm. needs to needs to happen it should have happened a long time ago but you know yeah. i yeah. guess if we have to say it better late than never 
<laughs> you know, we shouldn't have mm-hmm. to say stuff like that. But yeah, so he's not definitely yeah. not the the um, the first person, but he is a very important commentator on yeah. the, in the horror genre, in my opinion. Yeah. I'm not a, a horror <laughs> president. <laughs> a, you're you're a horror like uh, ambassador. How about that? <laughs> I will take that. Maybe, maybe not the president, but you're you're getting there. You're working your way up. <laughs> You know, as I talked about earlier, you and I are both uh, big horror fans. So I was just kind of curious. Like I said, this was the first one that made me see it more as art, more as like um, appreciative of film. So can you remember the first horror movie that you were truly able to appreciate as a film for more than just like the scares or the thrills that it provided you? We talked about it. It's Alien. That's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you were young, but still like you were able to get it like almost immediately. Yeah, I mean, I feel like we should have been talking about this during the Alien episode, but yeah, I really liked it because it it got me thinking, what was it that got me scared? And that just opened up a Ah. whole new set of questions, Mm -hmm. and I'm the type of girl who's pretty curious, so I explored that. And then I became a little psychopath, as my mom called me. (laughs) A little psychopath. (laughs) A little psychopath. Yeah. Climbing trees. Climbing trees, it kind of like... I told you, I'd, I'd take the Bible and open it up and go, tis time yeah. <laughs> with the, like, from Hocus Pocus. And she, didn't, mm-hmm. she didn't stop me. She probably should have. Blaspheming. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not my uh-huh. favorite. It's one of my favorites, but not my favorite. But it opened yeah. the door. That was your gateway. What was, what was yours? Well, this one. Um, but like, you know, I mentioned the ring earlier. Um, that was the first time where like. I, I saw it in a theater. Like, I'd never seen a horror movie in theaters before. So that was the first horror movie I saw in theaters. And I saw it with a bunch of friends. So I think that kind of helped because, like, if you remember The Ring, like, it's awesome. But it's also just kind of, like, it has its, like, fun moments, too. So, like, I had friends that were just, like, laughing and having a good time. And that made me realize, like, oh, like, I can laugh at this. Like, I can still have a good time and not be just, like, totally petrified, totally scared. So that was kind of, like the entryway into being like, okay, like I can watch more of these. Like I can, like, I'm fine. I'm okay. Nothing happened to me. <laughs> like, um, I'm going to be okay to watch more of them. So I think that was the first one that made me, um, made me a fan of horror movies in general. But yeah, but the Duke was the first one that made me really see it as an art form. Um, and some of the other ones that I mentioned, like, uh, the witch, like that one's a super slow burn. Uh, but I really, you know, you were saying earlier that I love that buildup of that tension of just like these lingering shots that just like hang on maybe a little too long, but it makes you uncomfortable because you're like, why are we still staring at this? Like, should I be looking around? Like, should I be searching for something? And sometimes there's nothing there, but just the fact that you were paranoid enough to like want to look around, like that's the kind of stuff that I enjoy. Um, I like It Follows for the same reason. Like it kind of just like, it really just makes you think and makes you... um nervous and anxious like i think we've talked about this before too is just like uh i think the reason why you and i both gravitate towards horror a lot is because it allows us to channel our anxiety into something that we can control and something that has a definite ending and a definite conclusion um whereas normal everyday anxiety is just like what's gonna happen i don't know probably the worst thing that could happen (laughs) so yeah uh, definitely when you have anxiety it's always the worst Mm -hmm. thing uh, you kind of. You, oh, go ahead. I was gonna say that. Do you know if there's a horror movie that's based on like you know how this was an allegory for depression? Do you think there's a horror movie that's an allegory for anxiety? 
It's probably a final destination, isn't it? Oh my God, yeah, probably. <laughs> I think about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they've made what, eight of them, nine of them? It's, I don't know. The too first many one was really good, though. I remember it one scared the crap out of me. But I don't want to talk mm-hmm. too much about horror movies <laughs> in general. I mean, I love it, but we're mm-hmm. kind of here for Babadook. So I do have a yes. question for you. Sure. Um, since this is your favorite, and I have been asking you the past two episodes this question, what is your favorite part? My favorite part, I think, is uh, even though it's like the most heartbreaking part, is towards the end. Um, and we're going to get into a little bit of spoilery territory. So I'm just going to say spoiler alert to an extent, but, you know, we see, we see the Babadook literally like enter into her, you know, this grief, this depression is fully taking over and like poor Sam is just like terrified. Like he doesn't know what to do. Like this is his mom. This is someone that he looks up to that he looks to for protection. He had even said earlier, like, I'll protect you and you protect me. Like, this is the kind of, you know, deal that they had. And now, like, he's seeing his mom just like completely a different person. So we had seen um, Amelia just like, just like teetering on the edge. So to finally see her like fall over it is just like so shocking and so upsetting. But it really just hits me. And it, um, when Sam is just like, like begging for help from her, Mm -hmm. it's just like really really crazy but it, it that part sticks with me i think it's my favorite because we get to see uh the actress essie davis just go full force full full throttle um showing us how crazy she can really be how how fed up she is with everything how tired she is of holding on to all this carrying all this for herself for her son for her sister for her co-workers just like she's been carrying this big heavy load and just finally she can't take it anymore and just goes poof so I think that's probably my favorite part. Mm-hmm. I think my favorite part is, I, I think it might have been the same one. I'm not sure. It was the part when he, yeah, I think it was, it was I think it was the part where she was about, she had to get it out of her mm-hmm. and she was oh, on the yeah. ground and mm-hmm. they, I think they were already in the basement where the grief lives. Mm-hmm. And um, he goes up to her and he says, you know, I'm not leaving you. Because that was mm-hmm. a promise that they made to each other. And that's mm-hmm. the thing that I really do like about this one, too, is that it, it does a really good job at presenting relationships between single parents and their only child. I mean, I don't yeah. know how it's like if a single parent has, like, multiple children. But that's definitely mm. the thing. Like, a lot of people don't understand how it works when you have one child and there's one parent. And how that dynamic is different from any other dynamic out there. Yeah, um, yeah. And that, you know, being an only child with a single mother, um, I can definitely say that, like, yeah, we've said stuff like that to each other, where it's like, you know, you you protect me, I protect you. Why do you think I was, like, really traumatized after she abandoned me (laughs) watching Jurassic Park? Like, I thought we had a deal here, man. Like, what you doing? (laughs) No, but we said stuff Uh like that. And, and, you know, that's the way how it's going to be from now to the end of time. You know, it's just, you know, it's... That's it. I have no other help from siblings to help me with her. It, you know, as she gets older and she doesn't have a spouse to help her with anything. Mm-hmm. So we are each other's back kind of thing. Yeah. So yeah, I really appreciated the Babadook for this reason. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That part kind of got to me. I didn't tear up. I don't know if I've ever teared up um, watching a horror movie before now that I think about it. But I, you know, I did feel something. Yeah. 
There's my cat. He's over here checking <laughs> everything out. Do you have his back? I have to. <laughs> I have no choice. I adopted him, so <laughs> this is. And he has your back in his own special way. Uh, he does not. Ha- He's a cat, so he does not <laughs> That's have. That's true. My he back. has his own back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I kind of wanted to ask you this as well. You know, um, as I said, this is Jennifer Kent's like screenwriting and directorial debut film, and you know, Jennifer follows a long line of incredible female horror directors like Mary Heron, who did American Psycho, Karen Kusama who did The Invitation and Jennifer's Body, and Mary Lambert, who did Pet Cemetery, among many others. So I was just kind of curious, uh, what kind of extra perspectives and experience do you think women bring to the field of horror that make for such truly terrifying films? That's a really good question. You actually got me thinking here, Dan. <laughs> That's what I like to do. You know, I think it has a lot to do with the fact that women have been victimized for so long that we have a different perspective on what horror is. A lot mm. of guys see horror, and I'm, I don't mean to say this as if like every guy on earth sees oh, it like this, and that no guy can be a victim. Absolutely, guys can be victims of lots of things. But in the mm-hmm. past, especially by the men who made these movies in the past, yeah, and the people who are in charge of getting these movies made are men, their interpretation of horror are these monsters slashers it's like the rules if you have sex you're gonna die there's gotta be a final girl let's like sexualize her let's do this to her let's do that where women bring something different where it's like we every day is like a horror movie for a female she walks you know when we walk out it's not like bloody and brutal and gory but we always like walk out and there isn't a moment where we're not wondering if some man can just pick us up and throw us into a van. Jeez. And that's mm-hmm. what we have to live with every single day. So when you have to live that every day, we obviously have a different perspective on what horror is, and we can add something different. Not better, but just different to the horror genre mm-hmm. that I think mm-hmm. needs to happen because, one, media is really important. Mm-hmm. It helps shape society. It helps connect people to other people. Yeah. And if we really want this to be an equal society, which a lot of people do and a lot of people don't, but either way, whichever way this goes, it's not like you and I personally have anything to do with it. We can't really control it, but at least mm-hmm. we can talk about it like this. We're going to have to start seeing things from other perspectives. Yeah. And that's just my particular input on on the matter. I'm sure there mm-hmm. are lots of horror enthusiasts and historians that could probably answer that question a lot better than I can, but yeah. Yeah. So, I don't no, know. No, that that makes a lot of sense and I mean it's unfortunate, but yeah. I'm I'm thankful that we we live in a time where we can get more of these varied perspectives where we can have people like Jennifer Kent, where we can have people like Jordan Peele who are making horror films and other films in general that that we can connect to on a different kind of level, you know? Mm-hmm. So I definitely appreciate that. Yeah. And if you think about it with Jordan Peele, the reason why his movies are so, they're not like in your face scary, but they're more scary in like a, like a retrospect. Like you have to really look in deep into it and you realize this is kind of horrifying. It's mm-hmm. probably because he's a black man and it's mm-hmm. really dangerous. And it's like living in a horror movie to walk outside with your, dark skin because then you wonder is someone going to shoot me just because i'm 
dark? Is someone going to call the police on me because I'm walking down the street in my neighborhood? You know, like mm-hmm. stuff like that. Or am I going to get pulled over? And what's going to happen if I get pulled over? You know, like stuff like that. It's, I wouldn't say it's the same thing as being a female because no. I don't think that is. But I think it's like we share similarities where it's just scary to walk outside and not knowing if you're going to come back home. Oof. Yeah. How did you like that? Early yeah, morning for it. you. Got my coffee. <laughs> yes, you are all hunned up and ready to go. <laughs> uh, I guess another question that I had for you is, um, you know, this is clearly um, an allegorical type of film. Do you recognize or do you uh, appreciate any other kind of almost like grown up scary fa- fairy tales, like allegorical stories? Like I think of like Pan's Labyrinth or something like that. I kind of like... It's just like this creepy, um, creepy fairy tale. But do any others come to mind for you? For fairy tales in particular? Or just like allegorical horror movies or thrillers? Allegorical. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, there, we already mentioned the Get Out mm-hmm. um, stuff. Get Out Us. Um, I like, it's, I like I said, I think every single horror film is like that. Cabin in the Woods is like that. Oh, yeah, of course. You know, mm-hmm. um... Uh, gosh, we were just talking about this too. Obviously, The Purge. I mean, you can't maybe. That's oh yeah, horror. yeah, that's a horror franchise, right? Like basically, it is. Mm-hmm. And then, I think like The Ring is too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think all of them pretty much are alleg- allegories for something. But yeah, and Alien, obviously, because you know, with with Ripley and everything, and. Um, the thing with the virus. Oh, you haven't seen the thing yet, huh? I have not. Yeah. Yeah, I don't want to spoil soon, it soon. for you. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot. There's a lot of allegorical um, films. I don't think anything on this kind of. Like, I know there are stuff that are, that is on this deep end, but I just can't mm-hmm. figure it out. What was that movie that you made me watch that I really hated? The I am the pretty <laughs> thing that walks in the house or whatever. That's like the, something like that. Yeah. I think that's an allegory. It's, it's got a long name for a very long movie. It reminds <laughs> me of like that um, song title on. There was a band called Brand New. Do you remember that band? Mm-hmm. And like, yes. like two of their um, song titles were like paragraphs. I swear. To yeah. God. <laughs> and obviously, American Horror Story is a really good allegory for just everything. Like a lot of people are that's thinking true. that like it's the different um, stages of hell. That's like a theory. Oh, okay. Like I haven't heard season, that theory, but I like it. Every season is a is a stage of hell of Dante's Inferno, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, you can find it if you need it. Yeah. You haven't seen every season of American Horror Story, have you? I have not. How many have you seen? In full, I've probably seen three. Which ones? I saw the first one. I saw Cult, and then what's the third one that I fully saw? Well, actually, I got very close to finishing it. I was like two or three episodes away from finishing Apocalypse. Apocalypse. Mm-hmm. You don't need to finish that. Okay. <laughs> I've seen enough. This is just a, a horror ambassador's take on it. Exactly. So. One of the, and I mean, it's been memed to death, but like one of the things that happens early on is in the middle of driving, because uh, he's just like, he's kind of having a little bit of a meltdown himself, Samuel in the backseat of the car. And she just like turns around and just yells, like like I said earlier, like 
why can't you just be normal? Mm -hmm. And like that part is just like so painful. But at the same time, you can kind of understand like, it. You, yeah, you can sympathize with it to an extent because she's just like she's trying everything she can to make sure her kid has a good education, that he can like socialize with other kids, that she doesn't have to just keep him at home. But like he's doing all these things that, to be fair, probably most kids do, you know, maybe not to the extent that he does, but all kids, you know, have imaginations and um want attention and mm -hmm. will be like that family guy episode where it's mom mom mommy mommy, mommy mom mom mama mama, mama. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um God. and you know it's it's hard enough for two parents to deal with that but let alone just one parent to have to get all of that on her like i thought that was pretty mm -hmm. pretty intense and that's one of those moments where you're like man like is she gonna snap because she's like already she's already let loose by yelling at this kid about how he's not normal so like mm -hmm. where do we go from there you know yeah mm -hmm. yeah that was a that was a really good moment in terms of acting and writing and just like just connection <sighs> i think yes. I, I remember the moment where i realized she was a good mother is when she was defending him in front of the yeah. other women who were like okay like oh yeah like i can barely find any time to work out because mm -hmm. i'm like so like busy mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. you know this and that and like she's just rolling her eyes like mm -hmm. like oh really Life <laughs> that's must the be worst so problem you have you, yeah you have like help mm -hmm. and stuff and and then like she was sticking up for her child and i think it was also um was it the school board or something? They we were talking about yes, like the principal the kid, or something. The child. Mm -hmm. They kept calling him the child, or you know this and that. And she was like, mm -hmm. "His name is Sam," and yeah. stuff. Like he's not, he's not a number. He's not a thing. He's not just a child. He has a name. He's a person. Mm -hmm. I thought, mm -hmm. okay, she's a good mom. But she's just been run yes. down. She needs some help. Yeah, you know, I think one of the reasons why. I've been hesitant to talk about more about the film itself is because like I want to talk so badly about the ending, but I don't want to spoil it. So I'm just going to say like spoiler alert right now till probably the end of the episode. <laughs> like if you don't want the ending to be spoiled, then we'll see you next time. <laughs> but uh, I really did want to talk about this. Um, so spoiler alert, you've been warned like six times now. So first of all, I like how you mentioned that last part because the Duke also says like, give me the child, give me the child. So like the... The grief doesn't even want to put a name, a name on it either. Like the creature doesn't want to put a name on it. Just like, give me that child. And that's like the one thing that she has left is Sam. Um, so that's like a lot to give up. But it's also something that's like can be a big burden on her, a big responsibility, a heavy burden to bear on her. So that part I thought was really crazy. Um, did you have any thoughts about like that, about how the Baba Duke addressed Samuel and how, why do you think it wanted Samuel so badly? I always saw the, the Baba Duke as, as an entity that just wanted more people, more souls. Ah. Mm -hmm. So I think that, and this is just my interpretation. So I think that yes. when it came to her, she, he was, it does, is the Baba Duke a he, or does he have any like particular pronouns? I think it's, know? it's Mr. Baba Duke on the Babadook. title okay. of the book. So yeah. I think he was just trying to pick at things that were that triggered her because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. that's why like yeah. he kept bringing up like images of her late husband yes and stuff like that and yeah you know, appearing to her as him mm -hmm. so i think you know mm -hmm. just like 
all these entities do in movies they kind of figure out what your weeks your weaknesses are what's holding you back and starts yeah. you know portraying those things that's how they get in mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But, and it was also telling her like you know come with me like we can be together like we can uh you don't have to be alone anymore like we can we can be together so a sad reality too is that you know those those suicidal thoughts are yeah those like you've you've reached your breaking point like where do you go from there so let's talk about why the babadook is a gay icon did you ever i know we did some okay, research so afterwards. we did a little bit of research uh but what i came across what i forgot is that the main reason why the babadook ha became this kind of gay icon is because netflix like mistakenly put that movie under like lgbt films so it was like mistakenly categorized and then from yeah so everyone was like wait like how is this an lgbt film so i think from there that's when people just started running with it like oh yeah of course like and yeah. then they started like stretching it to make it fit like <laughs> well yeah like he made a book he wanted the attention he knocks three times like when he comes in <laughs> oh my so, goodness <laughs> just like anything they could to like is that really a gay thing more eccentric I don't know. I'm mean, like I'm saying, people were pulling. They were yeah, like stretching. Yeah, they were just trying to like yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's mm -hmm. a, it was in like the LGBTQ category and like I'm gonna I watch guess that. He's ours and, now. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> and this is a, a welcome to the family. This is a gay horror film. That's true. There, I don't know if there has. I'm sure there has been. I just don't know if there's any anything that's like any good ones that have made it mainstream. Would you say yeah. Babadook is a mainstream horror film, or do you think it's like one of those um, contemporary things? I'd say it's a cult classic for sure. Cult classic, yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It definitely has a following for sure. Enough that <laughs> um, a few fans could turn Babadook into a gay icon. Like there was That's enough true. people there to make that happen. That's unfortunately all the time we have for today. Thank you again for listening. As a reminder, this podcast is available on Apple, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Just search for Skysoft and you'll find us there. Please make sure to subscribe to us on all those platforms so you never miss an episode and rate and review us. And of course, for all things Skysoft, including full episodes, cast and show info, and other updates, be sure to check out skysoftentertainment.com. Once again, that's skysoftentertainment.com. Thanks for listening, and until next time, this is Daniel. And I'm Monroe. Sharing with you the films that changed our lives. <laughs>